I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. Winter weather is hard on hair and skin. Dry air, frequent hand washing, and cold wind take a toll. What can you do? This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy Dermatologist is here in the studio to answer your questions. Have you been worried about hair loss? What's the latest information on minoxidil? Are your hands rough and dry? What about cracked fingertips? Trying to type or fasten buttons can be painful. Is it safe to put instant glue on your fissures? Why are long, hot showers a potential problem? Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, winterizing your skin and hair. In the People's Pharmacy Health Headlines, epidemiologists warn that COVID-19 infections are still common in many parts of the country, although hospitalizations are beginning to trend down. New research from Brazil suggests, however, that adopting a vegan or vegetarian diet could help reduce the risk of catching COVID. The scientists collected dietary and infection data on 702 participants between March and July 2022. More than 400 volunteers classified themselves as omnivores, while 278 reported following a strict plant-based diet. Those consuming primarily or exclusively plants were 39% less likely to experience COVID infection during that time. The researchers concluded these dietary patterns may be considered protective against COVID-19 infection. COVID-19 infections have been associated with autoimmune disruptions. People who have come down with the disease have later experienced worsening of conditions like inflammatory bowel disease or rheumatoid arthritis. Now, dermatologists report that this infection may also contribute to the immune-linked hair loss condition called alopecia areata. The scientists reviewed nationwide medical records in Korea, comparing more than 259,000 people who got COVID to the same number of people who escaped infection between 2020 and 2021. Even after adjusting for other risk factors, people who recovered from COVID-19 were nearly twice as likely to develop alopecia areata as those who did not catch the infection. In efforts to avoid opioid prescriptions, doctors have been relying more heavily on substitutes like gabapentin and pregabalin to help people with pain. A population-based study of more than 10,000 people suggests, though, that these anticonvulsants have some unexpected and serious side effects. Canadian scientists analyzed insurance data for individuals taking one of these drugs for epilepsy, neuropathic pain, or other types of pain. They were matched to people of similar age and sex not taking a gabapentinoid. 
The analysis revealed that those on gabapentinoids were much more likely to have serious worsening of their chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD. The most extreme exacerbations of COPD happened about six months after the person started regular gabapentinoid use. The authors warned their colleagues to consider this risk when prescribing gabapentin or pregabalin to patients with COPD. Spanish researchers have been testing the effects of a Mediterranean diet on cardiovascular disease for decades. The PREDIMED trial began recruiting a large number of high-risk volunteers in 2003. Since then, the study has evolved to examine the impact of diet on a variety of health outcomes. This latest chapter assesses adherence to a Mediterranean-type diet for blood lipids and glycemic markers. This trial is different from previous studies because the investigators used nuclear magnetic resonance spectroscopy to study the lipid fractions carefully. People who stuck more closely to a Mediterranean diet rich in vegetables and legumes with extra virgin olive oil as the primary fat and nuts as part of the mix had better lipid profiles. Their HDL levels were higher and they had lower concentrations of nasty particles known as VLDL and very large VLDL. They also lowered their diabetes index scores. According to the authors, the results suggest that lipoprotein subclass distribution and glycemic control are potential mechanisms behind the well-known salutary effects of med diet on cardiovascular disease and diabetes risk. The hottest drugs in the pharmacy these days are called GLP-1 agonists like Ozempic and Wegovy. The latest entry from Eli Lilly is called Zepbound. These drugs are creating excitement because they help people lose weight, but access has been challenging. Eli Lilly recently announced a new model for selling Zepbound. Instead of relying on physicians and pharmacies, the company has set up a website, Lilly Direct, to connect directly with consumers. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. I'm a medical anthropologist. And I'm Joe Graydon. I'm a pharmacologist. It's cold outside, just in case you haven't noticed. (laughs) What is this frigid weather doing to your skin, your lips, your hair, and your nails? Well, we're going to find out. Soon we're going to open the phone lines for your questions and comments, if you have some. Our number is 888 472-3366. But first, I want to introduce our guest, Dr. Chris Adigan. She practices both general dermatology and cosmetic dermatology at the Dermatology and Laser Center of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Dr. Adigan has a specialty in nail disorders. Welcome back to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Adigan. Thank you for having me. It's always wonderful to have you in studio live for our listeners, and our lines are now open for your questions about skin, hair, nail problems, whatever's on your mind. If it's dermatological, give us a call. Chap Lips. Chap Lips, 888-472-3366. You can email us. We're radio at peoplespharmacy.com. That number again? 
472-3366. And if you've had some success with a particular treatment, we'd love to hear from you. What do you do for dry skin? Well, let's start with why winter weather is so hard on our skin and our hair and our nails and our lips, of course. What are your patients dealing with this time of year? Well, the scientific term is called transepidermal water loss. And so when it's drier outside, you're going to lose that water that is typically keeping your skin hydrated. And it's just because it's being pulled out by the air. So dry air anywhere, it's hard on skin. What do we do for it? Well, we use different types of emollients to seal that water in to basically make our skin barrier that typically is holding that water in a little bit more robust. And so we just need a little help along the way during the winter months. So help me understand this. Do people in countries where it's humid, like when we lived in Mexico and we went to the isthmus, it is hot and humid. Muggy, muggy, one yeah. might say. Do people yeah. never have dry skin in those places? The incidence is much, much lower. Uh-huh. What they have instead is fungal infections and bug bites. <laughs> That's right. I mean, choose your poison. It's always a trade-off. <laughs> yeah. If it's the summer, you're going to get you know itches, and if it's the winter, it's going to be dry. But by the way, sometimes when your skin gets really dry, it'll also itch. This is correct. How come? Well, those tiny little cracks that are formed in the skin from that compromised barrier cause local inflammation in the skin, and that inflammation brings immune cells, which triggers itch. Mm. And it can be really, really unbearable, and people sometimes scratch till it bleeds. I mean, I guess you see some of the worst of the worst. I mean, the itch itch scratch cycle is extremely intense, and... Being itchy as a human is absolute torture, honestly. And you can't help but scratch your itches sometimes to try to bring that relief. And yes, sometimes you scratch to the point of pain, and the pain, of course, it will supersede the itch sensation. Now, that brings up the issue of hot. Because when you've got a really itchy bug bite in the summer, or even just a little bit of poison ivy, Sometimes if you get into a hot shower for just a second or three or apply hot water, it'll take away that itch for maybe a couple of hours. But I'm guessing maybe hot showers in the wintertime when your skin is really dry may not be such a great idea. Primarily because it's going to more effectively um, trigger that transepidermal water loss, you're going to lose more of the natural hydration that is in your skin um, with that long, hot shower. So it can actually make the itching worse, even though when you're in it, it can give you such nice relief. Well, especially when it's so cold out, you want to get in the hot shower, but then you're saying it might boomerang. That's right. Let's go to Dallas, Texas and talk to Jean. Jean? Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. Tell us what's on your mind. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, I had, um, and it's so funny, the previous segment, I've had alopecia since I was in my early 20s and in my beard mainly. And it has slowly come back almost, I would say, 90% all the way back. And about two years ago, I had a rough case of COVID. Don't have any pre-existing conditions. Handled it fine, but I had COVID and flu at the same time. And my alopecia came back in a part of my beard. 
And I thought it was, hey, you know, we're just coming back. But after uh, after listening to the segment, that there's a chance maybe COVID helped with that some. Is there anything I can do? Spot that is well, in first, my beard. It's, I would say it's a quarter of my beard. First, let's define alopecia because that's a dermatology talk thing. So alopecia means hair loss. And so there's lots of different types of alopecia, whether it's male or female pattern alopecia, frontal fibrosing alopecia, central centrifugal cicatricial alopecia. Or... But, but, but what Gene is, is dealing with is big patchy spots of his beard That's that it. don't grow. That's alopecia areata. And we just heard that this is in part associated with autoimmune disease and it can occur after, after COVID. COVID. So what could Gene do about his beard so that it looks good again? Well, the nice thing is there are treatment options for alopecia areata, especially when it's limited, like Gene's is limited to his beard. And whether or not kind of the, the COVID had caused his alopecia areata, we'll never be able to tease it out because he had the alopecia areata prior to mm-hmm. infection. Um, but it, I mean, there's an enormous immunological kind of storm that's triggered by COVID. And I I kind of buy it that there's like a relationship, especially even in his case, when when it's not a new case of alopecia areata. But there are different types of agents that we use to treat limited alopecia areata. And we now have more tools in our toolbox to treat more severe or extensive cases of alopecia areata. Such as? Well, there's two new systemic agents that we can use to treat severe cases of alopecia areata. Both of them are what are called JAK inhibitors, and they're both oral medications. JAK spelled... JAK or Janus kinase inhibitors, which is a part of the immune pathway that increases inflammation. And one of these agents is actually approved and it's about to become available for patients as young as 12. Um, and the other is approved for adults. How well do they work? They work pretty well, especially when you consider we had largely nothing for these patients prior to these agents. But these presumably are big sledgehammers. Yes. Does Gene might not need a big sledgehammer. No, I think that in Gene's case, the beard is really common. And for initially, we can oftentimes treat him with a topical agent. We have different types of steroid-based anti-inflammatories and what are called steroid sparing agents that we can use on the beard. And for a little bit more recalcitrant cases that are still limited, we will actually inject the area. So Gene, It sounds like there are a couple of options. Time to visit your local dermatologist. Sounds great. I look forward to it. It's great to know that there are things out there that are now helping, and I look forward to doing that. Thanks for the call. We really appreciate it. Terry, we got a quick call from Erie, Pennsylvania that has disappeared. No, I see it. Oh, there's Karen. Let me see if I can can get it. Okay, we just have a couple minutes before the break. So let's see if you can drag. Oh, I'm doing my best. Okay. Here we go. Karen from Erie, welcome to the People's Pharmacy. What is on your mind? I'm not seeing Karen. Okay, we'll have to we'll have to deal with Karen. There oh, you go. Oh, there you are, Karen. Welcome. Yes, hello. Hi, what's um, up? I have a I have a question this morning about dry nails. Um, dry, brittle nails, especially the thumbnails, I have tried everything. Um, I even read uh, trying decolorized iodine on them, 
Um, I tried buffing them. I take biotin. I take other supplements for hair and nails. I can't get rid of it. It's just so frustrating. Is there anything that you can suggest? Well, absolutely. Dry nails are very frustrating. But what's interesting about dry nails as compared to dry skin is that in the nails, it is lipid loss and not water loss that leads to those dry nail symptoms. I can tell you we have yet to have a supplement of any kind that has shown to have any real improvement that's evidence-based for dry nails. But we do know that if you do use different types of topical therapies that will transfer lipid through the, into the nail plate, that you can have relief. It is slow. You have to have some patience. But plant-based emollients tend to do a better job than synthetic-based emollients. Any favorite brands? I do have a favorite brand. It's the Dr. Rogers brand that makes a plant-based emollient. It's actually my favorite topical that I use for dry nails. Um, and it has a tuckier texture, so it will really stay put. Other plant-based cuticle oils and topical agents, I, I have some patients that use coconut oil. The problem is it just doesn't have staying power, whereas this is a kind of a tacky ointment. And so it will really will stay on the nail and important to nourish the surrounding tissues that also nourish the nail. So you're kind of treating the skin around the nail as well as the nail. Good luck with that, Karen. And thank you so much for the call. Our lines are open for your calls and questions. The number 888-472-3366. And if the lines are busy, which they likely will be, you can email us the email address, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. Terry, we're talking with Dr. Chris Adigan. We are, and we're talking about winter skin problems. And after the break, Joe, we're going to talk to Paul in Fort Worth, Texas, about eczema. And a lot of people have trouble with eczema. So so don't turn off your radio. No, and the People's Pharmacy dermatologist, Dr. Chris Adigan, is right here in the studio waiting to take your questions and your calls. Again, our lines are open at 888-472-3366, and you can email us radio at peoplespharmacy.com. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Cocovia, backed by 20 years of scientific research and the maker of the most proven and concentrated flavanol extract in the market today, CocoPro Cocoa Extract. Cocoa flavanols are among the most studied plant-based bioactives today and are clinically proven to promote cardiovascular and brain health for the long term, supporting a strong heart and better memory. Get 15% off your order of any Cocovia product by using the discount code PPOD15. Learn more at Cocovia and remember that discount code is PPOD15. 
These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia Memory and Focus is a unique formula made with a special blend of ingredients that work together to promote attention and support long-term memory. It supports five areas of brain performance all in one capsule. More information at cocovia.com. Today, we're talking about winterizing your skin and hair and lips and nails. You can join our conversation 888-472-3366. Here in the studio, we have Dr. Chris Adigan. She's standing by to answer your questions about skin, hair, and nails, a board-certified dermatologist who practices both general dermatology and cosmetic dermatology at the Dermatology and Laser Center of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Dr. Adigan is devoted to increasing public awareness of skin cancer and the harmful effects of UV rays, both medical and cosmetic. She specializes in both nail disorders and laser treatments. And our lines are open for your stories and questions. That number, 888-472-3366, or send us email radio at peoplespharmacy.com. And we go to Fort Worth, Texas. Paul, welcome to the People's Pharmacy. Your question. Hi. Hope you all are having a good day. Um, My issue is actually not my own. It's my wife's. Uh, She has had eczema for years. And as a result, you know, the really dry skin um, and dry weather uh, causes a lot of cracks on her skin, especially during the winter time. And um, in all honesty, it feels like she's tried every lotion under the sun, every single, um, she's even seen dermatologists for steroid lotion and that it might help for some time, but then it stops helping. Uh, And the only relief really has been uh, humidity. Um, We were visiting family uh, down by the southeast coast of the U.S. where it's much more humid, and she got some relief, so we got a humidifier in our home, and that's provided some relief. But other than that, I mean, we, we can't walk around in a humidifier bubble. Uh, so I was wondering if there was anything else uh, that my wife can do. And um, also additional context, the cracks have gotten so bad, it's even gotten under her fingernails. Ooh. Uh, and yeah, in places where you can't really put a Band-Aid. She's had to try the liquid Band-Aids for those. So um, it, it's pretty severe, it feels like. It sounds terrible. Dr. Adigan. Yes. Um, eczema, or atopic dermatitis, um, is the kind of medical term for um, eczema, is incredibly challenging. It is an immunologic disease that disrupts the skin barrier. So just dryness isn't the whole story. But what can be done? Well, different types of treatments that are going to help support her skin barrier as well as target the immunologic aspect of the disease will give the best results. But I think you hit the nail on the head that you've tried different types of steroid lotions, which are a mainstay in treatment for atopic dermatitis or recalcitrant eczema. 
but you will not cure her disease. It really is part of who she is. Well, we also have a message from Sadie. Sadie says, my eczema is out of control. I've always had mild eczema, but never to this extent. My dermatologist gave me, and I'll probably pronounce this wrong. Well, desonide, but I think that's the correct pronunciation. It sounds like a steroid. But using a topical cream is like trying to put out a forest fire with a teaspoon of water. What should I do? Are there any home remedies that help? This itch is driving me crazy. Yes, that is probably the most devastating aspect of the disease is the itch. It can disrupt sleep. And when you disrupt sleep, you can disrupt about every aspect of someone's Mm -hmm. life. And so really getting that itch under control is important. And sometimes we have to use systemic agents to do that. Sometimes antihistamines, sometimes more potent antihistamines that can make you drowsy are really key to being able to help you sleep through the night, but it's not going to cure your skin disease. Now, I've seen commercials on television for Sky Rizzy. Oh, man, we're having so much fun. wait, Rinvoke. Rinvoke is the big one. Now, these are very expensive, and I'm suspecting, based on what I hear on the commercials, very toxic drugs. But perhaps if someone is pretty desperate, they might be worthwhile. Sadie sounds desperate. So would you recommend a drug like Rinvoke? Well, Obviously, Sadie does need to be seen by her dermatologist, primarily to make sure that there's no other aspects in her life that she can do to improve her disease. But sometimes you can do everything right, and atopic dermatitis is so severe that you really do need one of these agents that are going to interrupt the immune pathway aspect of the disease in order to improve it. And we have several agents available that are systemic (laughs) that Terry might describe as toxic. Uh, One is a biologic agent that's injected, and we do have oral agents that are in the JAK inhibitor family as well. All of them have excellent utility in severe atopic dermatitis. So for people who are really suffering, like They can be Mm life-changing. Now, we did talk with someone recently who has mild to moderate eczema, and who said, I discovered that if I just don't eat anything with gluten in it, my eczema doesn't bother me at all. But as soon as I have a cookie or a piece of bread, I'm in trouble. I might question the diagnosis of atopic dermatitis Mm -hmm. in that circumstance, because there is a skin disease called dermatitis herpetiformis that is actually caused by... Celiac disease. That's right. What's it like? Well, it typically causes an incredibly itchy eruption in a very specific pattern on the body, such as the lower back and the elbows and the wrists. So we do look for that pattern. But I think the most, the key is that very well-known trigger that unless they're kind of having gluten with every single meal, they may not be able to tease it out. But if they're not, and they have a gluten exposure that's followed by this intensely pyritic eruption, then we start to kind of wonder, do we need to do an antibody panel on this patient? Tony is calling from Ithaca, New York. Tony, welcome to the People's Pharmacy. Why, hi. Thanks for having me. Well, welcome, Tony. What's on your mind? Well, I kind of wanted to relate my own experience about uh, skin conditions and such. I mean, I I used to get uh, really bad chapped lips in the winter. To the point where it would split. Ouch. Which is which is bad, you know. But so I used my ex's Blistex, 
and I caught her herpes. So be aware <laughs> that, that Blistex does not kill the herpes virus. So, but after my mom had a heart attack, I looked up what causes heart attacks. Well, it's vitamin C deficiency. And vitamin C is not really about your immune system. It's about repairing your collagen. And you need collagen in every tissue in your body. So, Tony, so, I want to jump right to the chase on those chapped lips. What have you done, if anything, to solve that problem? I've taken a lot of vitamin C. Okay, let's turn to Dr. Adigan. Dr. Adigan, it's not that I'm not enthusiastic about vitamin C, but I'm not sure it's going to prevent all of those heart attacks that happen every year. But what about for chapped lips? I've never heard that. I'm also not familiar with vitamin C causing any real or measurable improvement in chapped lips, although I hope that it is helping him. Sounds um, like it worked for Tony, but what do you do? So I think just kind of on... if. Chap lips are something that happens for someone only in the wintertime, and it's not lasting all year long because that'll take me on a different diagnostic pathway. If it is something that is kind of a winter phenomenon for a patient, then a lot of times it's all about education. We have very few oil glands, if any, on our lips, um, very, very few. And so as a result, that tissue is more vulnerable to that water loss and hydration loss. So it just means they need a lot more emollients during those kind of dry months or exposure to drying environments. And so you can use synthetic emollients that are petrolatum-based, or again, you can use different types of plant-based emollients. It's just kind of the reapplication that's important. I think I do see it more severely in kind of my male patients than my female patients because they're not as accustomed to applying lip balm all day. And so it's a little bit of education. Now, I remember a dermatologist telling us a couple of decades ago that one of the real triggers for dry lips was lip licking. Yeah. So how do you stop licking your lips when they're dry? It's it's tough to stop. I mean, I think that usually if you apply an emollient, you're going to be less likely to want to lick your lips because it's a temporary relief. Um, in our saliva, we have something called amylase, which is an enzyme that will break down carbohydrates. And part of our um, barrier on our cell walls is is a carbohydrate, you know, lipid bilayer. And so we're going to essentially take that away when we lick our lips with our saliva. And you can develop something called lip lickers dermatitis that can involve the lips as well as the skin around the lips. We see it very commonly in children. And really the treatment is really rigorous emollient application. And what are your favorites? I mean, I think that anything that is going to seal in moisture, that it, that can be a synthetic-based or plant-based emollient, there are so many options at the drugstore now. I really just try to kind of um, educate patients to do something that is more um, emollient-based, such as petrolatum, um, the or the plant-based emollients that uh, if patients would prefer that, that's going to be greasy. So I have to kind of tell them, like, well, pick something that you like that is greasy. Um, and because they're going to stick with it, I sometimes kind of try to empower them with the information so they can make the right choice for themselves. Well, if, if you tell Joe to pick something he likes that will be greasy, there is nothing he likes that is greasy. Well, it's true. <laughs> I don't. And we, we got an email from Jim, and he says... Humectants 
instead of emollients. He says, how does Dr. Adigan feel about humectants? What What's are the they? difference? They are different, and I do like humectants. Um, humectants are going to be agents that will pull water into the skin, whereas emollients will just seal them into the skin. If we get very, very dry, you'll see that we almost have like a crust on us. Sometimes say patients will say, I have alligator skin or crocodile skin, and that is just layers and layers of those dead skin cells that are not sloughing properly because you've been so dry. Well, I'll tell you what, if you put an emollient right on top of that kind of layer of crust, it may not allow or facilitate the water to get into the skin. And so a humectant will help kind of dissolve that crust and pull water into the skin. And so that can be incredibly effective. And are there any brands? I mean, is there something that if I wanted to look for a humectant, where would I find it? You would find it really at the drugstore. They're humectant-based um, moisturizers at the drugstore, and all the big brands make them, such as like Eucerin or okay. Cetaphil or um, CeraVe, and it will actually say humectant-based on the label. Now, Jim also says that uh, urea is good, and it's a humectant. It is. Is it really? It is. And what is urea? It sort of sounds a lot like um, urine. It does, because it does occur naturally in urine. Um, but urea is a very potent humectant. It will pull that water in as well as dissolve that crust. And urea improves the skin's natural barrier. It does. By pulling in that water to the skin and dissolving that crust, it facilitates a healthier skin barrier. Okay. Shall we talk to David in Charlottesville, Virginia? Absolutely. David, you're on. Uh, yes, thank you for taking my call. I'm calling about dry nasal passages, and I've had this for decades. Uh, I also have draining sinuses. Sometimes it's like Niagara Falls, and I use a sinus rinse. That helps with the draining and, the, and flushing out the nasal passage a little bit. But then I also keep the thermostat set at 63, so the hot, there's no really warm heat in the house. It's, it's, it's nice and cool. And <laughs> Some of us would say that's a little too cool, but there you are. <laughs> well, it, it, it does, you know, it does help. And then I also have to try out um, a, a saline nasal gel. That will help temporarily, so I, sometimes I have to resort to, uh, revert to, uh, using Neosporin or using Vaseline, you know. Okay. So, David, I'm going to tell you that we get more angry slash unhappy messages on our website from people who do exactly what you're doing. They resort at the last, you know, minute, at the last stage of their dry nose to Vaseline. And I can't tell you, Dr. Adigan, how many pulmonologists who say, don't, don't do, do that, because if you inhale that lipid... That, if you that, inhale petroleum jelly, yeah. it's not natural. Your lungs have no way to get rid of it, and it can cause, doesn't always, but it can cause a chemical pneumonitis that is very nasty. Now, we know that dermatologists often resort to Vaseline, but the pulmonologists say... Don't do it. So what Not can in you your nose. recommend for David? That saline gel, I saw you nodding. Yeah, the saline gel is a good option because it is not petrolatum-based, and it does. it's 
the sa- the purpose of the saline it will be more pH balanced to mm-hmm. our skin, so it's not going to change the natural skin pH, or it will actually help his skin move closer to it, um, especially if it is really dry. I mean, he's really in a tough spot, right? He has constant draining sinuses. So that natural skin barrier that lines our nasal passages is compromised all the time. So he is going to have to kind of constantly chase it. And yes, the emollient are really barrier support concept in the nasal passage um, can be a little bit uh, controversial because yes, dermatologists do recommend still, you know, get a little Q-tip, get some Vaseline and rub it in the nasal passage. The whole point, of course, is to support that barrier, heal the fissures, um, and make it a little bit more robust in there and resistant. But yes, it is um, It is a point of contention. <laughs> okay. okay. And, and maybe a little bit more humidity, David. Uh, you know, in the old days, you know, the wood stove, you'd put a teapot on and let the, the steam just be continuously available. But thanks for the call, David. I wish we had a magic wand. I'm afraid there is none. Um, I'm wondering about hair loss. We talked the last time about minoxidil. Now, everybody's heard of Rogaine, but that oral minoxidil, and we just have about a minute before the break. Have you had any luck at all with low-dose minoxidil? I've had tremendous improvement in many of my patients with low-dose oral minoxidil, and they're tolerating it very well. Men and women. Men and women. When we say low-dose, how low are we talking so low-dose oral minoxidil is a range that the definition of LDOM or low-dose oral minoxidil ranges from 0.25 milligrams all the way to 5 milligrams a day. And what would be like the blood pressure dose? Now, I know that's not something you're treating, but just for comparison. About 40 milligrams a day. Okay. And side effects at the low dose, not seeing them? They're very, very uncommon. Well, I should say the um, orthostatic hypotension, peripheral edema, all of that, or pedial edema is very, very uncommon in the low-dose oral minoxidil. So feeling dizzy when you stand up. In other words, people aren't taking enough minoxidil for their hair to make their blood pressure. That's right. You don't need much for the hair. But I will tell you that Upwards of about 40% of patients, you know, in the meta-analysis did have some unwanted facial hair growth, even at the low dose. We do need to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll take more of your calls and questions. Our lines are open, 888-472-3366, or you can email us, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. We are talking with Dr. Chris Adigan today about your hair, your nails, your skin. Dermatology is what's on our minds. Give us a call. Again, that number 888-472-3366. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements, cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health, made with a proven concentrated flavanol extract. More information at cocovia.com. 
And today on the People's, People's Pharmacy, we're talking about keeping your skin, hair, and nails healthy during the winter. Our guest today is Dr. Chris Adigan. She's standing by to answer your questions about skin, hair, and nails. She's a board-certified dermatologist who practices both general dermatology and cosmetic dermatology at the Dermatology and Laser Center of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Dr. Adigan specializes in nail disorders and laser treatments. And our lines are open for you at 888-472-3366. If the lines are busy, which at the moment they are, you can email us, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. And let's go to Oneonta, New York, and talk to Paul. Paul, what's on your mind? Hi, guys. Hi, Dr. Adigan. Um, I live in upstate New York, and as a 60-year-old, I started to play a lot of outdoor pickleball. Um, no, Nothing surprising, I'm sure, for some of your patients. And was exposed uh, on my scalp to a lot of sun a couple summers ago. Uh, I was... Uh, Thunderheaded about covering up and using sunscreen because uh, who wants to use sunscreen uh, where their hair is? I don't have much hair. It's kind of thin, but I still have some. And I got diagnosed with uh, some places that it kind of felt like really small, hard pebbles on my scalp. And he said they were potentially precancerous. I'm not sure how he described them, but he described me the use of fluorosil. 5% cream, I'm sure it's something you're well aware of. And so um, I used it uh, as he described, and these places felt like they went away. And he examined me and he said, you're looking good. Uh, why don't we make an appointment for a year from now and see how you're doing? And I kept covering up and all that, but they seem to have come back and maybe just the same way almost. And I wondered if that's typical and what you would describe. And I'm sorry, my question doesn't relate to winter weather as much as summer. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, yes, I think that more than likely you've just did a beautiful description of what are called actinic keratoses, which are what we also consider early precancerous change in the skin. And they do respond well to topical 5-lur uracil cream um, that is more kind of casually known as chemo cream, right? Because 5-lur uracil is a chemotherapy agent. But it's tough to say whether or not those actual places have returned or if you have new areas. Actinic keratoses are really kind of best understood as actinic disease, right? Because it has to do with your skin sustaining a certain amount of DNA damage induced by UV exposure. So you will likely continue to make more of these, but you can decrease the overall quantity over time by continuing the really good sun protection that you're describing. And I have to tell you, we have become quite fond of pickleball ourselves, but we always wear our hats. So from now on, Paul, wear your hat. <laughs> and thanks for the call and good luck. I would get in to see the dermatologist sooner rather than later. Terry, you were going to ask about? I'm going to ask about scabies because there was an article in one of the medical journals recently saying, Scabies, it's making a comeback, especially so far in Europe and the UK, but obviously it'll be here before we know it, and it probably already is. And it probably never left. And moreover, the scabies are becoming resistant to the usual treatments, which of course are insecticides. So please tell me about scabies. Why does it itch so much, and what can you do about and it? And what is it? 
So scabies are a mite. They're kind of better understood as like a parasitic mite because they need to live in our skin to survive. A scabies mite can actually only live off of the body for 24 hours before it'll die. And they burrow in your skin, which causes an inflammatory reaction and intense itch. It takes pretty close contact to catch them from another person because you do catch them from a person. Um, so usually it's sleepovers. Your kids go over for a sleepover and they're you know sharing a bed for the night. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does take close contacts. They itch incredibly. The itch is intense. Um, Usually the exposure will happen, but the symptoms don't develop for four to six weeks later because the the mites have to kind of work their way into the skin, which takes some time and um, cause that inflammatory response. But we do treat them with topical agents, but you can um, elaborate, Terry, on how those topical agents are not working so well in Europe. So well, I- the the problem is, of course, that as with any, as we saw with lice, um, as you'll see with any insect, if you use an insecticide, some of the insects are going to become, are are most of them are going to die, because that's what insecticides do; they kill insects. But some of them are going to survive, and the ones that survive then will reproduce, and then you end up with a problem of resistant insects. So I'm going to ask you about a very controversial drug that I happen to love because it saved the eyesight of millions of people in Africa, ivermectin. Yeah. And they, are, they do use it sometimes. It's, I think it, in this country it's off-label, but it, it can be effective against scabies. It's incredibly effective, and we do use it. We typically try the topical agents first. Permethrin is more or less standard of care in the United States. And the key is that you have to treat two times because the first treatment will kill all the live mites. The life cycle is all those eggs will then need to hatch, and so you'll have a whole new set of living um, uh, mites in seven days. So you have to treat two times. Not so different from treating lice. And I should correct myself and say, of course, I know that mites are not insects, but they are arthropods. They are arthropods. And we're talking about oral ivermectin. So then for the cases that don't respond after two very well-applied permethrin doses, then we will oftentimes move to oral ivermectin, which is incredibly effective. It remains to be very effective. Okay. Back to the phones, Terry. Indeed. Let's talk to Ken in Erie, Pennsylvania, where I'll bet it's very cold. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Ken. Hi, and yeah, you're darn right, it's cold here. We're on the (laughs) north coast of America. Uh, Well, I was a letter carrier in Erie for 27 years, and I worked in some cold winters, including the coldest on record in Erie, when minus four was the high for the day. Anyways... I had trouble at times with my fingers uh, splitting open because I, I typically, except in extreme cold, uh, wore fingerless gloves for dexterity when I was handling the mail. Sure. Well, sometime, I believe it was in the 90s, we had an anthrax square where some people were mailing white powder through the mail to political officials. And so the post office response for safety to its employees was to issue some nitrile gloves and uh, I found that wearing them underneath my fingerless gloves outside in the winter and a member of letter carriers out there for several hours nonstop uh, 
anyway, the nitro gloves really fixed the problem with my fingertips splitting open. And I noticed, too, that more and more mechanics, auto and bicycle mechanics, are wearing uh, some kind of vinyl or nitro gloves to keep the toxins in the oil and grease out of their skin, but also keeps the good stuff in. Ken, that's a wonderful suggestion. And nitrile gloves are not expensive. And they're and they're not clunky like, you know, the rubber gloves that you'd wear to wash dishes with. So that's a great suggestion. Dr. Eidegan. Yes. I mean, when someone has active hand dermatitis and even active fissures on their fingertips and on their hands, we actually recommend either an emollient or a prescription topical steroid, depending on how severe with followed by the application of a nitrile glove to sleep at night. Um, it really does help drive the medication in and heal those areas. But I think you hit the nail on the head in that wearing them even during the day, if you are exposed to different types of chemical agents that can be what are, we consider irritants, especially in the winter months when your berry is already compromised, will give you a very excellent and effective layer of protection. In the old days, we used to recommend uh, white cotton gloves that uh, photographers would use to hold negatives so they didn't get their fingerprints on them. Yeah, well, negatives don't but exist But negatives anymore. are gone, and white <laughs> and so gloves, are the gloves. Those, those thin cotton white gloves are gone, so it sounds like the nitrile um, gloves that you would use for, for example, a, a physical exam if you were a physician. Now, Terry has sometimes had problems with finger cracks. Yes, my um, especially in the wintertime, the uh, tips of my fingers tend to split open, and it's very painful. It's yeah. hard to type. It's hard to fasten buttons. I mean, there's a lot of things that it's hard to do. And even though I do, in fact, wear those clunky um, dishwashing gloves most of the time when I'm wearing washing dishes. Um, sometimes my, my fingertips crack. And what we have found the most effective is instant glue. Oh, love, love instant glue for fissures. Yeah. So this is not something that you've uh, written off. This, this is oh, a, no. Oh, this is sort of like a home remedy from the hardware store. Oh, yes. And some people even get really deep fissures in their heels, on their feet. Mm -hmm. And that is, I mean, every time their foot strikes the ground, they're essentially reopening their wound and it causes a lot of pain. And so Instant Glue, Choose Your Brand, um, can work very well for fissures, not just on the hands, but also on the feet. And these um, agents are not often contaminated. They're oftentimes sterile. And so I don't have to worry about um, sealing in an infection or something like that. Let's talk to Barbara in Carrollton, Texas. She also has had troubles with nails and fingertips. Yeah, this has been, got to have been one of the most informative shows I've heard uh, in many, many ways. The the woman with the eczema, where the, the, the business of the nail, I have had over the years uh, just a split between my, on my left thumb just a tiny split between the nail and the thumb, and the doctor for years treated it as a fungus. And then one year it came back, and that time it didn't get better, didn't get better. He says, I think you've got uh, something else there. And he put me on Cipro for five days and cleared up. Now this year it has uh, turned around and it got so bad that it looked like uh, 
like a tiny opening down to the cuticle, except at the cuticle it looked like the bottom half of an hourglass, and it was looked yellow underneath. Eventually the cuticle separated off, and I was on Cipro, at, alternating between Bactrim and Cipro for 20 days, and the nail finally came off about the almost the third week and um, when it did there was less pain but that business of treating one thumb with another thumb is a lot of fun and um, and your question Barbara my question is how long does it take before you're absolutely sure that this infection is gone because that area has remained Dr. Adigan I'm sorry. As a pharmacologist, it makes no sense to use a blunderbuss like Cipro, Ciprofloxacin. Whoa, that's a... It sends shivers down my spine. You wouldn't do that, would you? Well, you know, of course, I'm trying to solve her puzzle, right? So I think that she likely has an anatomic defect in that nail um, that makes her vulnerable to secondary infection. Uh-huh. And so if you have kind of an opening or warm, moist space under the nail, you can grow all kinds of things, uh-huh. including gram-negative bacteria. Ah, okay. And um, for which Cipro would, would be work. appropriate. That's right. But it's not addressing her primary problem, which over time we'd want to kind of treat that to prevent her from having to go on what we would all consider kind of a big gun like Cipro. So what would you recommend? She probably should see her dermatologist to see what the kind of primary problem is with the nail. And so that it might be something she has to manage long term as far as kind of preventing that barrier compromise. I do have a wonderful email. This person says, made me laugh when I think of my dad in response to Terry's question, what to do for chapped lips? When we had chapped lips as kids and would be complaining, probably whining, he used to say, put some chicken poop on them. Of course, he was kidding, but was reminding us to stop licking our lips. Uh, I think the idea of chicken poop on your lips would definitely keep you from licking your lips. What can people do? You didn't tell us what your favorite lip balm would be. Um, because I've actually already said it. It's uh, the, uh, the plant-based emollient, the Dr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. Dr. Rogers, mm-hmm. okay. It, it really has excellent staying power. It doesn't have a funny texture to it. And for many people that would rather not put petrolatum-based emollients on their lips, it is the best option we have. Now, we only have a couple minutes left, Terry. And, and since would... we only have a couple minutes left, I'm going to ask a question that I am interested in. And that is, can you use rosemary oil for thinning hair? And if so, how do you do it? So rosemary oil was actually studied head-to-head with minoxidil 2%. Now keep in mind that um, minoxidil 5% is available over-the-counter, but it was compared head-to-head with minoxidil 2%. And at the six-month point showed equal efficacy in this small study. Um, But I think the index that's more important from the study is that not only did it show that it had some effectiveness for male pattern hair loss, they had a lower index of scalp itching. Topical oh. minoxidil can cause a lot of problems on the scalp, and one of them is really kind of intractable itch. And although the in- itch index among the topical rosemary patients was still higher than placebo, 
it was lower than minoxidil. Interesting. And lower than actually what you're telling us is a low-dose topical minoxidil. That's correct. correct. So, Dr. Adigan, we just have a minute left. What's your recommendation overall to survive the next several weeks of dry, cold weather? So, shorter, cooler showers and moisturize the moment you get out of the shower because you really want to moisturize while your skin's a little bit damp because you're trying to seal that water in. And tell us again your favorite moisturizers. Oh, my goodness. So many great ones to choose from. And believe it or not, they're all available at your local drugstore. Um, Eucerin makes great products. CeraVe makes great products. Vanacream is another great product. And if you want something that's plant-based, then the Dr. Rogers Body Cream. Well, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening and for sharing your stories and your questions. And thanks to Dr. Chris Adigan, a board-certified dermatologist who practices both general dermatology and cosmetic dermatology at the Dermatology and Laser Center of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And Dr. Adigan spells her name A-D-I-G-U-N. The People's Pharmacy is a co-production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, with The People's Pharmacy. Lynn Siegel produced today's show. Pamela Alberta and Ayasi Chinflu provided technical assistance. Al Wadarski engineered with help from Denarius. The People's Pharmacy theme music is by B.J. Lederman. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia Cardio Health is offered in both convenient capsule and powder formats, with each serving containing 500 milligrams of cocoflavanols to support heart health and general health as well. More information at cocovia.com. Today's show is number 1,370. You can find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. You could subscribe to our podcast through your favorite podcast provider. And you'll also find the show on our website. We post it on Monday morning. You can email us your comments at radio at peoplespharmacy.com or when you go to the website, you can leave a comment there. If you go to peoplespharmacy.com, you could sign up for our free online newsletter. It's an easy way to stay on top of the breaking health news. By subscribing to our newsletter, you'll also have regular access to our weekly podcast and find out ahead of time which topics we'll be covering. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you so much for listening. Stay warm. And please join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time. And costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to produce high quality independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.